0: incredible statistic. It said, since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. The periodical goes on to say, of the 3,530 years of recorded history, there has only been 286 years where it has been peaceful. And very interestingly. It said that there has been an excess of 8,000 peace treaties that have been made and broken since that time. Obviously, the world needs a big dose of Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. We need to be peacemakers. What I want to do this morning is this. We're going to analyze this particular verse and we're going to break it into three parts. Number one is going to be blessed. Number two is peacemakers. And number three is the promise, they shall be called the children of God. Point number one, let's talk about the word blessed. The Bible says blessed are the peacemakers. The word blessed is from a Greek word makarios. This word can also be translated as happy And some modern translations translate it that way. It goes through all the Beatitudes, happy is this person, happy is this person, happy are the peacemakers. I don't like that translation because I don't think it really communicates what the Lord is trying to communicate. You see, happy is kind of, uh, it's more shallow. It's kind of a surface word. The word happy is dependent on our circumstances, but that's not this word. This word is much deeper. This word relates to one's spiritual condition. A person is blessed dependent upon their heart and upon their spirit. It's kind of like the difference in happiness and joy. The things the Lord is describing here in this particular beatitude relates to physical or relates to spiritual prosperity, These are things that bring you happiness not only on the earth, but they will continue on into eternity. Jesus said, blessed is the peacemaker. And that only makes sense because there would be a blessing in being a peacemaker because God himself is the God of peace, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. And of course, Philippians 4.7 says, It is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Think about that. The peace that passes all understanding. A preacher had finished his sermon one Sunday, and he was standing out in the foyer, and he was shaking people's hands. And one of the members came out and said, uh, Preacher, that sermon you preached this morning was like the peace of God. And he said, What do you mean by that? My sermon was like the peace of God? And he said, yeah, it passes all understanding. (laughs) Well, that's a bad joke, but what does it mean that the peace of God passes all understanding? Brethren, what it means is this. God can provide a peace of mind that the world can't comprehend. The world can't offer that type of peace. When you can have the peace that comes from the gospel... When you can have the peace that you know when this world is over, you're going to go to heaven, that you know this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, when you can truly be persuaded of these things, there is a peace that this world simply cannot offer. Duke University conducted a study dealing with peace of mind and the factors that contribute to emotional and mental stability. This is very interesting. I want to give you eight things that they concluded bring peace of mind and emotional and mental stability, because all of these things were already in the Bible. You know, oftentimes men think that they have discovered these great things, but they're already in the Bible. Number one, they said, if you want to have peace of mind and emotional and mental stability, first they said... You need an absence of suspicion and resentment. They determined that nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. Now, that's interesting. Of course, following biblical principles would help you with this. Following biblical principles would eliminate the idea of nursing a grudge. Number two, they said if you want to have emotional and mental stability and peace of mind... Don't live in the past. They said, an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. Of course, Philippians 3.13, Paul wrote, one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Of course, Paul had a lot of things that were behind him of which he could have agonized over and beaten himself over, but he said, I can't think about that. I've got to move forward. Number three, they said, if you want peace of mind, emotional stability, don't waste time and energy fighting conditions that you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. Does the Bible teach that? Of course it does. Matthew 5 and verse 47, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature. What's the point of that? You can't change it, so why agonize over it? Matthew 5 and verse 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet uh, for your body. What you shall put on is not your life more than meat and your body more than raiment. Number four, they said if you want to have peace of mind, Force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. A lot of people do that. They're suffering difficulties. What do they do? They pull away from the world. Does not the Bible stress the need to be with brethren? To bear ye one another's burdens, Galatians 6 and verse 1. Number 5 Duke concluded that we need to refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal, Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and some misfortune. What are they saying? You've got to accept that difficulties are going to come. It is inevitable. Job 14 and verse 1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. God already told us that. Number 6, they said... Cultivate, if you want to be happy, if you want to have peace, cultivate old-fashioned virtues like love and humor, compassion and loyalty, all of which are specified in the Bible. Proverbs 17 and verse 22 says, a merry heart does good like medicine. Number seven, they said, don't expect too much of yourself. When there is a wide gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals, then you have a feeling of inadequacy. It's inevitable you're going to have that. Friends, the Bible teaches me to put my trust in God, and then my inadequacies are not going to be a problem. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And number eight, they said, if you want to have peace of mind, Find something bigger than yourself to believe in because self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test measuring happiness. I don't think we even have to comment on that one. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in if you want to be happy. That's what Christians do. Now, friends, what is this telling us? It's telling us that mankind thinks that they have figured out how to have peace of mind, but every bit of this was already in the Bible, and much more. You see, we can have the peace of God, which passes all understanding of man. It is a peace which is the deepest peace that a person can ever experience. Friends, God wants us to have that peace, and He pronounces a rich blessing on people who help to facilitate peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Secondly, let's look at the the next word. Number one is blessed. Number two is peacemakers. Now, before I define the word, I want to help us to understand how serious this is with God. Because there are some things in the Bible that I think we listen to intently. There are other things that we tend to dismiss. We just think, that's not that big a deal. And I think this might fall into that category. We might think, Ah, being a peacemaker, that's that's not that big of a deal. I want you to consider the opposite of this beatitude. It will help you appreciate how serious this is. The the beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Think about it in reverse. Woe unto the troublemakers, for they shall be called children of the devil. Friends, the person who seeks peace has a characteristic of God. The one who stirs up trouble has a characteristic of Satan. Proverbs 6 and verse 19 says, God hates that. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 19 says, he that sows discord amongst brethren. If you're a person who stirs up problems... If you're a person that gossips and you sit and you cause trouble, the Bible says God hates that. It's the opposite of a peacemaker. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 verses 4 and 5 describes a person who stirs up trouble. And it says the church ought to withdraw from a person like that. Withdraw fellowship. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive. He must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 commands us. Now listen to this. If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes people are going to ride you. They will not make it possible to live in peace. But listen to this part. As much as lieth in you, when it's up to you... Get along with people. Live peaceably with people. You know, there are some people in this world who are cantankerous. They are hard to get along with. They are always stirring up trouble about something. And the Bible says they are sinning. The Lord says you do everything in your power to live peaceably with people. Brethren, this is serious. All right, let's define what it means To be a peacemaker, because the Lord says such a person is blessed. Vincent's word study says, the founder and promoter of peace. It says not only those who seek to keep the peace, but those who seek to bring men into harmony with each other. What does that mean? You've got people who disagree. It's the person who seeks to bridge the gap the person who helps people to get along, the person that when things are peaceful, they try to keep them that way. They don't want to see the peace interrupted. Now, there are some great examples of peacemakers in the Bible. I picked out three of them. One of the greatest is Abigail. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, you remember that David and his men were on the run from King Saul. And they came across some herdsmen, And they had a lot of of animals, a lot of flock. And so David and his men, they stay with the herdsmen, and they help them. They protect the wild animals. And after a while, what happens is they save a lot of the animals from being killed. They They save them from being stolen, and it's a great benefit to the owner. And so after some months of this, David goes to the owner, whose name is Nabal, and he says to Nabal, can we have some food? Can we have some supplies? After all, we have benefited you greatly. We just need some food. And Nabal says to David, No, I'm not giving you any food. I don't know know who you are. For all I know, you're probably some runaway slave. You can't have any of my food. And David is furious. David takes 400 men, and he says, Get your sword, get your horses. We're going to Nabal's house, and we're going to do some killing." And David heads out, and they're headed toward Nabal's house. Well, one of the servants finds out about this, and they go and tell Nabal's wife, her name is Abigail. And so she finds out what's about to happen, and quickly she tells the servants, load up some supplies, and they head out to meet David. And so David's rushing one way, Abigail is rushing the other way, and they meet in the middle. And Abigail jumps off her donkey. And she bows her face to the ground. And she says, oh, my Lord, let me bear responsibility for this. She says, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. She said, I brought some supplies. Please take this. And she fixed the situation. She was a peacemaker. It was at cost to her. She really put her neck out. Here's another peacemaker. Think about Jonathan. Jonathan was the the son of King Saul... And Saul, you remember, hated David. We just talked about the fact David's on a run, on the run from Saul. But David and Jonathan are best friends. Jonathan loved David. The Bible says that he loved him with his soul. And so what happens is Jonathan learns that Saul, his daddy, is going to murder David. And so Jonathan first, he goes and warns David. And then he risks his own life. He goes to his daddy. He goes to King Saul, and he begs for David's life. He says this. He says, let, please let not the king sin against your servant, against David. He hasn't sinned against you. His works to you have been very good. So effective is his plea with his dad that King Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he will not be slain. I won't kill him, I promise. He swore on the name of God. Now, King Saul doesn't keep his word, and so he goes after David. Now, Jonathan, again, is seeking to keep the peace. And at this time, he goes back to his daddy, and King Saul gets so angry, he throws a spear on that occasion. You see, Jonathan's sticking his neck out. But the Bible says people who have this type of disposition that Jonathan had, he says they're children of God. They will be called children of God. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. Here's another peacemaker. I want you to appreciate this guy. This is Isaac. In Genesis chapter 26, Isaac's servants have built some wells. Now, you've got to think to build a well to get water back then was very difficult they had to dig very, very deep so that they can wa- lower, a water in, uh, lower a bucket into the ground to pull up water. They didn't have tractors. They didn't have modern machinery. And so to find water and dig a well took a lot of work. When they got through digging their wells, the lazy Philistines decided they wanted their wells. And so they moved in and they said, give us your wells Isaac had every right to refuse it, but Isaac loved peace more than he loved property. And so he let them have the wells, they packed up their tents, they moved, they dug new wells. And then the Philistines came again, and they wanted their new wells. What would you have done? What would you have done? You know, some people would have said, look, I have moved once, I am not moving again. And Isaac would have had every right to do that. But you know what Isaac did? He moved again. Why did he move again? Because he loved peace. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. I'm going to read that again. I want you to ponder this. When a man's ways are to please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to fight for something that's yours. I'm not saying that you've got to turn over your things to a thief. We're just talking about a disposition here. And what Isaac was saying is, it's not worth it. I would rather have peace than to fight over this. Some people have the tendency to say, well, do you know what that person did to me? I'm going to make that person pay. They are not going to do that and get away with it. Romans 12 and verse 19 says vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, Matthew 5:44. What is that? It's a spirit of a peacemaker. Brethren, I want you to think about the way we think and the way the world tells us to think and the way we think I'm going to get even. And the way, If you watch TV, the attitude of people on TV is that person not going to do that to me. In fact, the hero comes in and he says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make them pay. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We're talking about the spirit of a peacemaker. Number one, blessed. Number two, we're talking about... The peacemaker. Here's point number, in fact, before we do that, let's go to this next point and ask the question, what do I have to do to be a peacemaker? Let me give you several suggestions. How do you do this? You say, I want some practical examples. Number one, when we open our mouths, we need to be careful of the words that we choose. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Over the years, I have known some people who the words they speak, the way they answer, it would just make the acid churn in your stomach. It seems like they're trying to pick a fight. Don't be like that. The words that you choose can help you be a peacemaker. Number two, if you want to be a peacemaker, sometimes don't choose any words. Sometimes it is best just to keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 26 and verse 20 says, I love this verse, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceases. I have oftentimes thought about this with regard to Facebook. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Why do I say that? Somebody makes a post somebody else responds, and then the person gets angry, and there's another post and another post. Before you know it, there's 126 posts. You know what? Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. That is, you stop it, and the fire quits burning. And then listen to the second part. Where there is no tail bearer, that is a person who's stirring up things. Where that person's not there, the strife goes away strife ceases. Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says, in a multitude of words, there wanteth not for sin. Now, the King James says that's a little confusing. Let me put that in our modern lingo. If you talk a whole lot, you're going to put your foot in your mouth and you're going to end up sinning. But he who refrains his lips is wise. What does that mean? Sometimes the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut. Many times being a peacemaker is best accomplished by not saying anything. You know, a lot of strife has been caused by people running their mouths. I have certainly been guilty. You know, sometimes being a peacemaker might involve acts of kindness, like Abigail. Sometimes being a peacemaker involves stepping out and doing something uncomfortable, putting your neck on the line, like Jonathan Sometimes being a peacemaker involves suffering wrong like Isaac. But I need to be sure that I've got my heart right with God and with my fellow man. You know, some people, rather than seeking peace with their fellow man, they are looking for trouble. You ever known somebody like that? Seems like they're just looking for it. Proverbs 16, 27 says, an ungodly man, listen, digs up evil. You ever known somebody like that? They dig up evil, and it is on his lips as a burning fire. Think through that. The the Lord's giving this picture. On his lips, there's a burning fire. I think we see what he's saying. Some people, by the way that they speak, they're just burning you. They're just causing trouble. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. That is, a person who's going to go around, and they're going to tell secrets, They're going to spread things that they shouldn't. They would take the best of friends, and they'll end up dividing them. That's not a peacemaker. That's the opposite of a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 7 talks about those who are moat hunters. That is, they look for little things to cause trouble over. Now, let's make some very practical application of this. First, what about in the home? How can you be a peacemaker in the home? You know, there is nothing more miserable than living in a home in which there is constant turmoil. Proverbs fifteen seven says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than the fatted calf where there is hatred. What does that mean? We might say it this way. It's better to eat rice and beans in peace than to have steak and shrimp in turmoil. Right? Proverbs 21, 9 Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That is, it's better to be up in the corner of the attic than in this big house with contention. That would be a contentious man or a woman. But you know, domestic tranquility doesn't come from household conveniences, It doesn't come from having all the modern tools, a fancy refrigerator. It doesn't come from a lot of money in the bank. It doesn't come from having a two-story house and a lot of cars. It comes from within. If you live in a house where there is constant tension and uneasiness and unhappiness, somebody's heart is not right there. If your house never seems to have peace, maybe it's because you don't have a peacemaker. Next, we need to have practical application of being a peacemaker in the church. Friends, the only thing that is uglier than a family feud is a church feud. And the devil loves it because when the church is fighting within in itself, sinners are not being converted. There was a, a preacher told an illustration, an old illustration from years ago. You'll see when I tell it. He said that there was an old country church and they were fighting. There were two factions in the church. And so finally, in order to settle this, part of the group said, we will use the the church building on Sunday morning. The other said, we will use the church building on Sunday afternoon. But then it got to the point that one faction thought the other faction was using more coal than they were See, it was a long time ago. They were using coal to heat their building. One faction said, you're using too much coal. And so what they decided is they would have two times that they meet, and they would have two separate coal piles. And so a boy in the community came by, and he wrote on the sign in front of the building, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and two coal piles. Kind of typifies it, doesn't it? You know, as a preacher, sometimes you interact with a lot of people, you find out personal things that are going on with people and issues that are taking place and people will tell you private things, their likes and their dislikes and similarities and differences and sometimes you have the opportunity that you could stir the pot and sometimes you've got the opportunity that you could help settle things. I want you to think about that. You know, somebody comes and they're aggravated about a brother in the church who's done so-and-so. What do you do? And this is not just preachers. This is other people. Somebody comes and they're aggravated with a brother. You could say, boy, I know what you mean. Somebody needs to tell him a thing or two. What, What have you done? You stirred the pot. Or you could say, yeah, but you know, he had the best of intentions. Or you could say, well, he might not have known this. Or you could have said, if you understood the whole story you would understand why. What have you done? You've been a peacemaker. See, it's two different, it's the exact situation. It's two different reactions. One stirs up strife, and the other, you've been a peacemaker. The Lord says, blessed are the peacemakers. How about applying this in the everyday world? See the picture? You know where we're going with this? How about when you're driving? Can you be, be a peacemaker? You know what road rage is? We know what road rage is. If you've been to Nashville recently, you know what road rage If you've ever been to Atlanta, you know what road rage is. I saw a video recently, and it picked up. I don't know what was before it, but there is a man on a motorcycle. He's on the interstate, and he comes up beside a car, and he kicks the car. And the car then turns purposely and hit the motorcycle and ran him into the uh, side columns, And then the car jerks back into his lane, and when he does, he goes too far, and he hits two other cars, and it makes a huge pileup, and it is a crash. I imagine you can see it on YouTube because it is a big event. What happened before the motorcycle kicked the car? I don't know. Something happened. This just didn't trigger this way. But you see, one thing happened, and another thing happened, and it escalated, And it was road rage. Did you know that you can be a peacemaker when you're driving? I was visiting another state, and I had just gotten out of my car, and I saw an elder in the church that I knew. He'd been cut off by somebody or something. I don't know what happened. But he started blowing his horn and showing his temper and waving his hand, and then he came around the corner, and I was standing there and it was awkward you know there is an interesting passage of scripture in Luke 6 45 it says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil I need to work on revealing the good treasure of my heart I want people to see in my heart good behavior we need to work on developing the heart of a peacemaker. Now, before I go to the last point, let me show you some misapplication of this passage. At times, I've known people who didn't want to talk to their family about the gospel because they said, my family are not Christians. They belong to a denomination, and I just want to keep the peace. This is this is going to stir up things. I'm not talking about the fact that you've tried, and they said, I don't want it. The Lord said, shake the dust off your feet, but... Sometimes people don't want to talk to friends or family because they say it's going to stir up uh, problems. This is not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. It is true that we should try to live in peace, but this relates to our disposition. It relates to handling daily affairs. If people get upset about the truth, that's a different matter. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, "'Think not that I have come to send peace on the earth,' I did not come to send peace, but a sword. How in the world do you reconcile those two statements? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm the prince of peace. Think not that I've come to bring peace, but a sword. Sounds like two opposite things. But he's talking about two different things. One relates to the disposition in life, trying to get along with others. The other relates to standing for the truth and putting the truth out there. And the truth will bring problems. The truth is going to upset people. The truth is going to upset the peace. And we have to understand that. We can't ignore the truth for the sake of peace because then we've misapplied this. Here's the last point. I know I'm getting long here. The promise to the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God, children of God. Prince, why do you suppose that is? why would we be called sons of God if we're peacemakers? Here's the answer. Because like father, like son. Because we're like the father. He's the God of peace. You know, John eight forty four. 44, Jesus said about the Jews on that occasion, you are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning when he speaks a Uh, When he speaks, there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus was saying, you are children of the devil because you act like the devil, like father, like son. And in a similar sense, when we have the disposition of a peacemaker, we've got the disposition of God. When we seek peace, we are like the God of peace. We are like the prince of peace and there is no greater compliment than that. Now, I can't conclude the lesson without discussing the greatest peace that man can know. It's the peace in your soul. It is the peace of a good conscience. It is the peace that comes from obeying the gospel. Brethren, it's the peace and the calmness that comes from knowing that I'm a Christian, that I'm living right with God, that I have the constant cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the peace that comes from knowing that if I died right now, I'm going to go to heaven. If you're not a New Testament Christian, you don't have that peace. At least you shouldn't because the Bible says it comes from being in the Lord's church and being cleansed by his blood. If you're a Christian and you don't have that peace, You're not thinking about this thing right, because a Christian who's walking in the light should know he stays in a state in which he is saved, in which he's going to go to heaven when this life is over. I want to read you an illustration, and then I'm going to close. Long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. Not finding a picture that satisfied him, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation came. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, while the viewers clapped and cheered. The tensions grew. Only two pictures remained veiled. As a judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of an evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. The man who was throwing the contest uncovered the second painting himself, and the crowd gasped in surprise. This is not peace. A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning and wind and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and a bitter chill, there was a spindly tree clinging to the rocks on the edge of the fall. On one of its branches, neath the storm and the thunder and the rain and the torrential waters, As if it was foolishly seeking to experience the full power of the water, there was a little bird that had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed by her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs with her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones. She manifested peace that transcended all of the difficulties and earthly turmoil that were going on around her. This was the winner. Friends, this type of peace can only be found in Christ. When the world around us is raging in turmoil, there is peace that comes from being a child of God. It's the peace of a pure conscience, the peace from trusting in the Father. It is the peace knowing that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. It's the peace that comes from being a child of God. It is the peace that passes all understanding. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to obey the gospel because you want to have this type of peace. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to assist you. Maybe as a child of God, you need to make some changes in your life so that you can have the peace that a Christian Ought to have. This morning, if we can assist you, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.